A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or brings something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and I hope you've had a fantastic week. Lots of great guests on this season and I'm loving all your feedback. Today, for especially Australian audience or overseas, you know, you'll hear this guy and you'll go, actually, I really like him. He's Tim Dormer. He was the winner of Big Brother's 10th season. He's the host of the podcast, The Big Mouth, and he's an all-round awesome human. So, oh. hello, Jim. How are you? Hello. I'm very good. Thank you very much for that generously kind intro. Well, it's true, isn't it? Yes. It, well, it depends who you ask, I guess. It's quite funny because I guess going on reality TV, there's a version of you that when people who don't know you other than TV, they think that's what you are. And I think in a way, yes, reality TV did portray me as who I was, but I'm more than that as well. So I yes. think, I don't know, some people just go, Oh, he's that annoying guy from Big Brother. But there's more to me than that. <laughs> and do you get that from some people? Do they go, oh, he's the annoying guy? And sometimes. I'm really lucky, actually. I think both times I've done the show, it's been very overwhelmingly positive. But you do get a few people that rub, oh, I don't know. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. And I think that's that's a reality of life. You can't expect or want everyone to love you. So I don't know. I, I love meeting the people that, say, oh, you you pressed my buttons. <laughs> well, look, I must admit, watching this one this year with the past contestants and the new people on there, you know, there were a couple of times where I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if I liked him today. <laughs> and then the next day I was like, no, I like him again. No, he's doing well. That's, that's what it is. I don't know what it is, but I'm able to win you over. And people say, I don't know how you get away with it. My mum used to always say that to me. I don't know how you get away with this, Tim. But I think it's because I I try to be as real as I can. And even though I make mistakes, I love learning when I've gone wrong. And I might have a heated argument to get there, but I think that's part of who I'm about and what I really want to convey in front of a microphone or a TV screen, whatever it is, is that be real and authentic. And that might mean that not everyone's going to love you. Yeah, and look, that's what I was going to say. I think the good thing about you and some of the past ones like Dave, Reggie, and I'm not saying the others weren't, but you were so authentic. You could see that what you were getting at. And look, I don't think I could ever do Big Brother because when you guys have to work out who is going to go up in the next one, it's so cloak and dagger and it's so on the cusp of, oh, my God, this is this is just, I can't watch because I don't know what they're going to do. And I, I feel sorry for that one that they're all going for. You know, yeah. it's almost like watching one of those wildlife documentaries and you see <laughs> the rabbit in the distance and there's about five <laughs> cheetahs coming up on it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what some of the returnees of the most recent series struggled with, Dave especially, that the game had changed. In, in the old version, the public voted so the blood wasn't on our hands. Yeah. But this season, part of the game is, yeah, you do have to vote. And I think, yeah, some people found it hard 
to play the game. And I wonder how Dave would be at playing Monopoly. Is he going to whinge about being the richest of the game board or not? Like it, it is a game at the end of the day and we're great mates now and, and that's what I kind of, I think at the end of the day, I'm able to separate game from real life. Well, look, I spoke to him at the beginning of last season and it was over the coffee thing and he he let out a few things because he came on and before we started recording, he was swearing and I went, oh, my God, Dave, I've never heard you swear. And he goes, mate, in those first three days, the reason they took the coffee away was because I couldn't stop swearing. And they said, we can't put this to air because there's too much swearing. Yeah, yeah, no, he does have a mouth of a farmer on him and he did get into trouble. Yeah, you don't stand between Dave and his coffee. I learned that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, it was really good seeing you back this year. I actually didn't watch it when... You were when you went won the tenth season. I don't know why, but I sort of I think I watched the first few yeah. seasons and then sort of moved away. And it, but this year I was glued every night. I couldn't wait to watch what was going to happen. And I can't remember who you were up in the seats against when you got kicked out. But it was like my housemate was in the other room, and I go, "Mate, how did that happen?" And he's like, "I oh, know." It was like, "How did you get thrown out when oh, those other two were?" There? I mean, if they didn't. I would have won the show and, and yeah. yeah, they would have been idiots to keep me Johnson and Brenton who I was uh, up against. And then it was Alicia's vote and she went the next week and I'm best mates with Alicia to this day. And she says, I should have kept you. And I think it was always going to be Red your eye that won the show. If either of us was in the finale, I don't know what would have happened if both of us would have been, but I think at that point, because Reggie had just been evicted and then brought back in, blood yeah. on their hands and it was fresh and and they felt the guilt of, of voting. Like they kept me over Reggie. Like I think yeah. that might have actually had a play in them saying, okay, maybe this is redemption. We'll get rid of Tim, like the biggest game player of the originals, maybe even the game. Taras knew that he had to take me out because I wanted Taras out from day dot. And he really fired up, didn't he, towards the end? Yeah, and I saw that coming. I was trying to convince the OGs to go for Taras from day dot. I was like, he is a challenge beast. And my eviction speech, I said, he will win every challenge from here on out and He's at the finish line. I knew he wouldn't beat Reggie, and I said that to him. I said, Tras, yeah. I don't know what you think you're doing at the, to get to the finish line at all costs. Yeah. Do the means justify the ends? Like, Australia's going to vote, and you have played a game of deception in a way that I wouldn't have done. Like, I kind of danced the line of trickery, but I'm not a liar. And and I wouldn't say something to someone's face, especially not about a game move like I would never vote for you and then vote for them or vote against yeah. them. And Taras did that. So I, I didn't think Taras would ever win, but perhaps up against me he might have actually had more of a chance against another game player, but against Reggie, no. <laughs> Look, I, I think the outcome, if it had been a viewer eviction, I think that you would have found some of the newer ones going a lot quicker. Oh, yeah. Not because people don't like them, but because they like the guys who are coming back. Because everybody likes watching a TV show when they bring 
you know, someone who left five years ago and they come back and you go, oh, my God, I love this character, you know, and it was like when you guys came in. I mean, the funniest scene was when you and Dave had to hide in the closet <laughs> and it was, it was just like, you know, and then those other guys came in and you were just there trying not to laugh. Yeah. Oh, that first night was just magical because, I mean, we'd I'd, I'd chatted to Reggie online. I think I'd met her once at Dreamworld. Dave, we we looked back and we'd actually had a conversation on Grinder years ago together. But it was the first time of meeting these people that were my idols and, and I guess vice versa. Like we're all fans of each other. And the fact that me, Estelle, Dave and Reggie just got on so well that first night, it was scary going back. Oh, yeah. Ten years nearly for me. I think it was just a sense of camaraderie that it was returning back to the, the wonderland that is Big Brother, that from years ago was a highlight of our lives, I guess. I'm so grateful to have got the opportunity to go back because there was hundreds, hundreds of people that had done the show and, yeah, we all knew that that it was really special that we were a part of that. Look, I mean, I think the people they picked to come back were the perfect people. I mean, even Drew was great. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I'm going to forget names. Estelle was great. But, you know, having all those people come back in, it really, because there was past things that had happened and there's new things that had happened. Yeah. And then the newer guys are like not really understanding your history. Yeah. So it was yeah. sort of like, you know, they're, they're 17, no, 17, 18 to say 25. And you guys are older, more mature, yeah. and you have yeah. these relationships already. It must have felt really hard for them to realize that you guys were pretty much a gang together and these guys were only just forming relationships. It was quite funny because I think at first they thought, oh, who are these old has-beens? And not many <laughs> of them had, had had known the, I guess, like the, the phenomenon that is Big Brother. That's why they would have signed up. But, I, yeah, I, I think they kind of thought, oh, this will be easy. They had the numbers. They underestimated me in rallying and teaching the OGs how to play. And in the first few weeks, we were firing them off one by one. And then it started, it turned to a bit of almost jealousy where I think they realised they were on our show, <laughs> not us on their show. That And it was, there was one argument when uh, the first week Drew had just come into the house, he was up for eviction and... I didn't want him going home. I, I played the show with Drew back in 2013 and I was just so annoyed that they didn't know who Drew was. They were, He was just a guy to them and they were just going to kick him out. And and I yeah. sat them down and I said, listen here, you little shit. Australia's still learning your bloody name. This is Drew. You are not kicking Drew out yet. And I think they kind of got the, the, the vibe then that they were in the shadow of and Look, you're right, because when I spoke to women around my age about the new season of Big Brother, they were like, oh, Drew is the heartthrob. Oh, we love Drew. Oh, you know, we can't wait to watch Drew in this one. And I'm like, I don't even know who he is because I've never watched it. I'd seen you on other things. But, yeah, Drew, I didn't know who he was. And then when he came in, I went, oh, no, why the girls yeah, like him. It was actually really funny. I, I never, ever would have picked that they would bring Drew back. And when he was there, I knew Tully would be back because of that their – Drew and Tully hooked up in my season back in 2013. She was a lesbian at the time, hooked up with him. Yeah, me and Drew were really good mates in the season of 2013 and I feel as though I may not have got to the winning position without him. There was a genuine friendship, but we drifted apart in the real world 
And in those eight years, I came out as gay. And I never, ever, ever, and still don't, see Drew in that way. There's no sexual feelings towards Drew. And so it was quite funny for friends to reconnect in the house, mates again, but now I was gay and all these people were were questioning me watching the show going, oh, Tim's working with Drew because he's in love with him. It's like, no, he's just a good mate that I'm reconnected with. And it was just so much fun to have the chance to do the show with him again. Yeah. And I wonder if that's because, like, people watching the show don't have those sort of relationships with people. Or, you know, if we haven't come far enough that, um, you know, a gay guy and a straight guy can be best friends and nothing's going to happen. But I wonder if people are still thinking, well, there must be something there. When, when there's not, you know, you can be friends with yeah, anybody. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's what I always say to people. I, I sort of say I think it's healthy for people to see that not every gay guy wants to shag every guy. And you had a relationship yeah, exactly. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you want to talk about when you first did Big Brother, when you were in there, there was sort of like, is he, isn't he? And then you sort of had a relationship with someone or you wanted to have a relationship with someone and then you came out of Big Brother and then you said, look, I'm quite fluid, which was brilliant for that time because fluid, fluidity. Yeah, I got a bit of flack for that. And to this yeah. day, I guess, some people love labels and boxes and they are important. Some people do find security and identity in a label. But then there's a whole other bunch of people that, like me, that, I don't know. It's sort of like I don't fit in that box. And and so the truth was I'd fallen in love with a guy and I had dated other girls. When I did Big Brother in 2013, I wasn't a closeted gay man. I would call myself maybe bisexually closeted at that stage. But it was something that I didn't feel like I had any experience to talk on on that show. I came from a conservative family, so I didn't I didn't want them to go through that process of me being inside the Big Brother house talking about such sensitive personal topics yeah, without yeah. talking to them. Yeah. Yeah, so when people say, oh, we knew you were gay in 2013, it's like, well, I say, I, I didn't. Thank you. Like, that's quite judgmental. And, and I, I wasn't. I wasn't because I didn't identify as that then. And, yeah, I guess now I'm happy after being, well, I'm currently in my second long-term gay relationship. I'm I'm more comfortable with the label gay now, but that's not to say that I wouldn't be open to being in a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship with a female in the future. So does that not make me gay? I don't, yeah. I think now I'm more okay with... Other people, if it makes it easier for them to understand, I'm happy to to adopt the label gay for them. But I know that's not comfortable for everybody else. Like for some people, labors, and especially when we're talking about gender, which I can't really speak for them because I'm cisgendered male, but I think it's really important to use the correct gender when you are speaking to someone that they would like to be referred to as or they identify as. Oh, yes. But but from your own experience, I mean, it's up to you how you describe yourself yep. or if you yep. just say, hey, I I'm would like, what I guess where I was at then and still now is I didn't want who I was, knowing that I was a bit of a unique character out of the box, I didn't want that to be attributed to a sexuality because I'd seen some quite stereotypical representations of gay men 
on TV and in Big Brother. And I don't think attributes of my personality are because I'm gay. It's because I'm Tim. Yes, exactly. And I guess at the time I just wanted to kind of maybe show someone that you could be maybe not your stereotypical male, but it didn't just mean that you were gay because my whole life I'd been teased for being effeminate or yeah. or creative or, or yeah. a bit outspoken in a almost, some people say, bitchy way. No, it's it's not because I'm gay. It's just I'm like bloody outspoken. <laughs> yeah, and look, I think you're right there because a lot of people still go by labels, and I've said this on the podcast loads of times. I hate statistics and I hate labels because I don't think either of them sum anybody up in any way other than to um, usually in a derogatory term, oh, look at him, he's obviously gay because that's how gay people are. And, you know, we are growing away from that as our generations are moving up and we're all getting older and the older ones who grew up in the times when homosexuality was not a thing, you know, we're moving away from that gradually and the world is changing in a more positive way. I still think we have a long way to go. But I think from my point of view, if we can get rid of labels, especially, look, I told you before we started, I work in mental health and and disability. And I've always said to people, look, you can send me the paperwork on this client. However, I'm going to see how they are for two or three days. Uh, And then I'll refer back to it because otherwise I'm going to judge what their paperwork says as to how I treat them. So it might be a week or two. We read who they are, where they live and a few bits about them, but I don't read all the behavioral reports because I don't want to sit there and go, well, he's this, 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 and this, and this is what we need to do. And nine times out of 10, I think I've only had one person come in the door where I've had to go, I really need to read that. Mm. 99% of the other people, they've come here and I've gone, wow, you know, it's funny how, and look, it can also be two different psychologists with two different points of view, Mm. two different psychiatrists with two different points of view in how someone gets labelled. And it's very unfortunate that if you don't find your right connection, you get labelled the wrong way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very reductive, I guess, that... Human beings are such complex creatures yes. and, and no two are alike. Even if you do share a similar label, it, it's very different. And I get what you're saying about finding out something about someone before you've actually experienced the person, yeah. knowing the label before the person. It does dehumanise or reduce that person to fit into that preconceived box or exactly. stereotype of what that label is yeah. before you meet them. So, yeah, that I, I love that. Yeah, because, look, otherwise, you know, I've worked in disability now 30 years and I remember people coming in and out and they saying, oh, they do this, this, this. And I found also it was how you treated the actual person. You know, if you treat someone with compassion, empathy and kindness, you're going to get a completely different picture of that person than if you go, oh, you can't do that, you can't do this. We don't use a lot of can'ts and nots and don'ts because they just, I mean, I wouldn't want people saying that to me. So we always find ways of encouraging without or saying you can't do that but in a way that isn't putting them down or making them feel attacked. Yeah, yeah. And the ability to define yourself, I guess, it it's just such a generalisation. If you hear somebody's this, why, why don't you have a conversation and ask the question yourself so they can tell you their story or their experience? 
Yeah. And look, you've worked as a carer, I think, in disability, and you would yeah. probably agree that 99% of the people with a disability you sit down and talk to, once you really get to know them, you understand them from a completely different way that a lot of, not a lot, some carers would uh, perceive them from either what they've been told about them or mm. I'm just here to get you food, get you showered, get you toileted. Yeah. But, you know, I have guys in here that we have such a great life and such a great connection and I'm now connected to families and that because they see how myself and my business partner interact with everybody. You know, it's not about where you're just coming here and sit there and do that. We actually encourage them to speak up for themselves because we want them when parents leave, you know, when parents pass on to be able to say, hey, I don't like that or I want to do this or why can't I do that, you know? Mm. So what yeah. what made you get into uh, support work? Yeah, well, that's a great story because I, at the time, I was far removed from anything in the media. I think it was about sort of three years ago. I I didn't want to be Tim from Big Brother anymore. I think I wanted to prove to myself that I was more than just the reality TV guy. I wanted to have a break from performing and sort of the expectation of me as I don't know, entertainer or, or uh, yeah. I, Can I just I was, ask yeah. you before you move on to explain about why you got into that? When you finished Big Brother, because I don't know what the ratings are on TV now, but when you were in Big Brother and you won it, it was a gigantic thing. It, there was millions of people watching it. When you came out of that, how did you slide back into society? Because you know you would have come out probably feeling really overwhelmed but also great and like oh I can do anything how yeah. do you how do you fit back in oh gosh it was hard and it, and it was a, a huge change as well because in that same year social media kind of took off so reality tv changed a little bit where we disappeared quite quickly but now people who loved us from the show would follow us and we kept the reality tv show going by sharing our life on social media so and I've worked for the Channel 9 Network, did a lot of presenting with Today Show, radio stuff for a good few years there. And it it was hard. I think it was quite exhausting and a new skill to learn, I guess. I was very conscious that I didn't think of myself as famous in the way that, like I, I, I was very aware that it was overnight and that I was I got that because I was on a reality TV show, I was an everyday person that people had voted for. And so I made real conscious effort to try and keep those roles equal. Whenever I met someone, I was just like them, someone who was an everyday person that had just gone on TV. Yeah. I had time for them. I wanted to know about their story just as much as they wanted to know about mine. I really enjoyed that exchange and that's I tried to keep that as real as I could uh, whilst also telling my family, tell me to pull my head in. Like if I need to come down to earth, tell me to pull my head in. And and they did. Yeah. And I guess as the social media thing grew over the years, you kind of have to ask, is the person who I'm putting out on social media who I am off social media? And there, there's a time and place for kind of representing yourself in a certain way. I'm not saying it's all bad, but as a, as years went on from Big Brother, I just felt like I was still that guy from 2013. But real life experience had taught me so much. I'd come out and, and it, that was like a huge few years of like 
mental health sorting out a whole new identity and to the point where I, I felt quite far away from the guy that I that people thought they were meeting on the street. And it used to give me a bit of anxiety. I, I actually didn't really like talking to people about Big Brother because I just, I've heard some people talk about the experience and, and anybody who's had a really amazingly positive experience in their life, if you measure everything after that to that bar that's so high or you make that the bar that you've got to, you're just chasing a high. I really didn't want that to happen. So I almost like sort of forfeit and said I didn't want to do that anymore and I wanted to get a far, as far away from that as possible. And I think support care sort of felt like, oh, this is learning real life again, proving yeah. that it's not about Tim, learning about other people. I knew that I had a problem with maybe listening and, and caring for other people and empathy and it sort of was I thought, okay, I know it's in me, but I want to work on this. And, yeah, did all the training. And I worked at a group home for a year and a half that was high needs, people with high needs, and it was it was a real challenge. And it was good for me to go to realise, I guess, I don't know, reality, that maybe I had been living in a bit of a cloud of, 15 minutes of, of reality TV fame for well, what five you, years or so. What you just said then about you realised that you weren't good at listening and empathy and that's why you wanted to do this, that's really powerful for you to actually realise that that's some of the things that aren't working for you and to work on that because some people would just go, I don't I don't know why I don't listen to people, I just don't listen, you know. But that, yeah. that's a major thing for you to realise and then to work on. Yeah, I've been on such a funny journey because I, I felt quite proud that that I was loving support care work and, and now I do it as a contractor support care worker, so not with a company. I've got a, a great bunch of little clients that I work with that are my friends and then I thought I was really far away from ever doing TV again and in amongst all that I'd had this breakup that really hit, made me hit rock bottom and that was sort of like the illusion being smashed of, of this life that I'd lived for, for five years. And it took a long time for me to, I took time off work and sort of put myself back together. And it was all during kind of the COVID lockdowns. Yeah. And then I got a call out of the blue. Do you want to come back to Big Brother? We want you to play again. And I just, by that stage, I'd, I'd, I'd put myself back together with a lot of help from therapy. And I thought, oh, wow, like maybe this is a chance for me to, show a new Tim. I've learnt a lot in life. I'm Different things motivate me now. I'm not win at all cost like I was in back in 2013. And it was, it's been really magical to kind of step back into that arena, not feeling the, the confidence that I did back in 2013 and be embraced by people and be able to share some of the gaps with my audience on social media and my podcast now about stuff I've been through that... Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, only last two months I, I was diagnosed with autism myself. Well, I actually listened to your podcast and heard that episode and I was like, well done for, you know, I mean, look, I guess for you to share it, it it's, look, you don't need to, but it was a powerful thing listening to you talk about it. I was like, wow. oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and I had some people in my life say don't share that. Don't. Yeah. It'll throw you to the wolves. And I thought, what? What? I have always been about sharing myself. And it was another scary place of saying, 
Oh, wow. Like, I, I think it's hilarious looking back now. And, and my next step in where I, what I want to do next year is write a book that sort of explains the stories. Like, someone who was nearly 30 and won a reality TV show that is based on social skills and 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 communication and connection with people through the TV. I won that not knowing that I was autistic. It's <laughs> really crazy. And I think uh, the more when I was unpacking that that box of autism and, and chatting with, with my psychologist, it's how much the world has a stereotype about what that is, what neurodivergence is. And I yes. thought, you know what, now's another chance that I can step out and say, hey, I'm not perfect by any means, but this is part of my story. And maybe there's someone listening who is also on that path. And if I can offer them any kind of comfort or support in me sharing my story, I'm happy to be in that position of, of vulnerability, I think, of, of, of sharing something personal like that. But it's very early days. Well, look, I mean, yeah, you should be commended because it's really good and it is brave because I, I'm hoping with the NDIS we are moving towards a way of a lot more acceptance towards people with a disability. We need mm. to get more people accepting mental health issues. Mm. Um, and, look, I did a podcast, I think, not last year, the year before, uh, with Autism Awareness Australia, and it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it because it's what oh. I do for my job as well. But I got quite a few emails and messages from people saying, hi, I just wanted to say my son's got autism, and that was a really good show. Or, you know, that what that lady was speaking about with her son, that really, you know, connected with me and what my daughter's going through. I usually get from people, I like that you talk about things that aren't mainstream. You know, I've talked about uh, child predators, uh, cults, all these sort of different things. Oh, wow. And people get a lot of information from it. You don't have to have been in a cult to see how these people coming out the other side can be resilient and can change their life and can get, come to a positive position, you know. And I know there are people in cults that, you know, it would take them years and years to be able to change things around if they ever do. But those are the stories I like to present because it gives people hope. And like you saying about that you've got autism, you know, there would be people out there who have been going, well, my life hasn't been going great. And, you know, I think I might have a few of those characteristics. And then they'll go and get tested because you've stood up and gone, hey, this is me. I got tested. I have it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And people will then go, okay, well, I'll get tested. And they might go, well, look, you know, I heard a conversation with Tim either on your show, The, the Big Mouth, or on this show. And they'll go, and you know, listening to him, I thought, well, yeah, why don't I do it? And so for you to stand up and say, look, this is me. And because you are in the public eye, for one, it's a great thing for you to say it because people relate to you. And it could have gone the other way with you and people gone, oh, he's autistic. But you're such a vibrant character that I think anybody listening to you or seeing you would go, hey, maybe it's time that I change the way I think about things because mm -hmm. looking at Tim, hearing Tim and seeing how positive he is and your guest who was on, I can't remember her name, who's just been in Heartbreak Chloe. Yeah, Chloe Hayden. She's phenomenal. I went to, she's just written a book. For anyone who's in the neurodivergent spectrum, so that's autism, ADHD, dyslexia, OCD. Um, she's written a book, Neurodivergence Guide, to life and I went to a book launch the other night and it was amazing in the audience were some of the cast from Love on the Spectrum. It was just oh, yeah. such a fantastic night where we were just sharing stories and I, it inspired me so much. Like I got quite moved at like questions from five-year-old girls that are 
so like knowledgeable about and I'm 38 and they're teaching me things and I think what a fantastic world we're living in now where we are accepting people for who they are, smashing stereotypes and it's a bit of joy and hope I guess when there's so much else in the news and what we're told and we read about that is not inspiring and just I'm getting really frustrated lately. I did a podcast on The Little Mermaid being black. and I heard that one too. Opposition to acceptance. Yeah. What does it cost people to be more accepting? How will it change your experience? What is it robbing you to give somebody else freedom to be who they are as long as they're not hurting anyone or I don't know. It's it seems to be a really big problem of where we're at as a species is not coexisting for survival. I, I mean, yeah, yes, a lot of people are finding it hard to put food on the table, uh, even in Australia, but around the world, yes. But it's more how do we survive each other based on our different opinions and and how we define ourselves. And it's sad. We almost seem to be going backward. And like, look, I don't know, if you read all the headlines, you'd think we were. But when you, I don't know, I, there are moments where it seems like we are getting there slowly, maybe. Look, we are. And I think it goes back to what I said before. I think as the ages go on, you know, like as my parents pass on who are in their 80s, uh, who have a different mindset to what we have, yeah. uh, where we are more open and accepting. And we also have to look, because I know, you know, homophobia, racism is still probably quite out there in Australia in certain pockets. And it's also how you're brought up by your parents. So if your mm-hmm. parents are homophobic, racist, that's going to trickle down into the kids. So what we need is as we gradually uh, age, those kids who do have those thoughts from their parents will gradually be outnumbered because there'll be more parents teaching their kids. There's nothing wrong with anyone who's gay, straight, whatever they are. There's nothing wrong with black, white, yellow, red, pink, green, orange. You know, we are all here together. And I was saying to someone on a a live a couple of months ago, you know, when I grew up, I was taught to, you know, you put all the trucks in one box or all the cars in another box, or it would be put all the red ones in here and put all the green ones in here. I said, and I would sometimes put different ones together, like a yellow motorbike with a red car with a green truck. And the teacher would go, no, 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 no. That's not how it goes. And I'm thinking, well, why not? That's what I like. And that's what's happening now is we're being able to go, well, I like this instead of that. And yeah. we have to sort of get it, get out of what we were taught. I mean, I'm a little bit older than you. So get out of, I mean, I've got out of that way of thinking. But mm-hmm. people around my age would still be in that. No, it's reds together, greens together, yellows together. You don't mix the colours. Well, you know, we're growing into a society now where we do mix colours and there's nothing wrong with that. We do mix sexualities and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but it's our generations which will change what's going on and you being a bit younger than me you will be at the forefront and you're in a great position being known in Australia hopefully overseas with your podcasts and stuff like that that you will be able to make these small changes because you would get lots of say straight people listening who probably have never met a gay person or never thought about anyone being gay mm-hmm. and they'll hear you, you you talking and it might not be you that's saying it but you talking to a guest who says ah oh, yeah I'm gay and I do this and that and they'll go oh actually oh okay I've never met a gay person I didn't know what was you know what they were like do you know what I mean so your conversations will gradually change people's opinions and it mm-hmm. might take 
take you till you're 90 and you're just about to drop dead and someone ring you and go, hey, Tim, five years ago I listened to you on a podcast and it changed the way I thought. And you'll go, oh, my God, that's what I've been waiting for. Oh, thank you, because that's that's my little secret, I think, is that I am really passionate about purpose and I was really aware that the platform of of being in the public eye and going on a show like reality TV, I mean, Big Brother's pretty lowbrow and a lot of people that go through the machine of reality TV, it is quite selfish, I guess, or the purpose of doing it, I, I, I'm not comfortable in that fame world unless there is a message of purpose attached to it. I think I decided long ago, and that comes from my upbringing and as you spoke about cults earlier, I, I went right through the, not that it's cult, but <laughs> religious Christian church, and I am actually studied that in my 20s and I'm a right. trained Christian minister. But I wow. thought I'm not going to have much capacity to change lives with this message. And it's not that I didn't, I didn't throw out the whole message. I just felt called to use it and, and tell it in a different way. And I think I laugh that sometimes Big Brother is such a mainstream audience, but the stuff that I'm trying to talk about through my podcast and some of my social media messages, uh, I don't know, trying to share deeper messages through that vehicle of reality TV and, and something as lowbrow as Big Brother to talk about some meaningful conversations with people that might not have heard them from someone that they would listen to, but they watched Tim, they loved Tim, and maybe that I'm able to say it in a way that I'm all, I don't like judgment. I hate shame, and I think that comes from going through that indoctrinated world of organised religion that I understand what the average watcher of Big Brother's like and that maybe they don't want The Little Mermaid to be black, but... Can, can I help have a conversation with them about the other side? Then they're not going to have a fruitful or productive conversation maybe with someone who's really far on the left side of politics, but maybe they can have a conversation with Tim from Big Brother about it. And, look, I think what you said there is Big Brother is very mainstream and mainstream people watch it. However, seeing you and Dave's interaction, seeing how you interact with Reggie, seeing how you interact with Estelle, seeing how you interact with the younger people. I mean, I'm one of those people who, like I see ages, but to me it doesn't matter if my mate is 70 or 30 or 20 because I get on with everybody. I don't have a problem with anyone. And I think what you did on Big Brother along with Dave, both being gay men who came on and talked about what you did, had a great bromance between the two of you, had great friendships with other people, even if that just changes someone's opinion a millionth of of a percent, it's changed their belief in what they believe gay people are, you know. And I know growing up I had some of my cousins because, you know, back in the day we all went to gay clubs because that was the best music and there'd be yeah, 20 of us there. <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember my cousin coming with me and he's like, are you gay? And I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, what are you doing here? And I go, well, I love partying and I love all these guys here. We have a great night. And he goes, oh, I don't know. And I go, mate, you've just got to change there's nothing wrong here. Oh, well, they might, you know, they might try and pick me up. I go, look, there's plenty of other guys here they want to chat chat up, not you, so just relax. <laughs> but I think that was the sort of the idea going back a few years was that, oh, they're going to try and grab me and do something to me, whereas God help you, 
you know, I mean, unless you're going to a straight club and you've got the women jumping all over you, then you're not going to have the men jumping all over you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but it's those opinions. And as I said, I think Big Brother that you were in, it showed people I never like the word normal or normality because I think we are, no one is normal or yes. there's no normality. Yes. However, I think it brought it into their lounge rooms and they saw what people do and mm-hmm. they saw someone in you that was bright, happy, intelligent, gay, great friends with everybody, a great communicator. You know, they have to look at everything. You know, mm. I know there's some people out there who would go, oh, he's the gay one. Like you said before, stereotyping. But if you put everything together and said, right, there's 20 pieces to this pie, here's all of them, and one piece of that pie is that I'm gay, people will go, oh, fuck, I never thought of it that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. he's a good communicator. He works in the care industry. He is you know, a loving man, a caring man, you know, all these different things. Sometimes we lose sight of what the pie is about. I don't, you don't, but people do. They just grab that one piece of information and go, this is that person. Yes. And I think it also works that same logic with maybe negative traits about yourself as well. Like I can be loving, but I can also be an asshole, (laughs) and that was shown as well. And I think that's another part of my growth process over the last five years is reconciling those parts of myself that I know I need to work on but not try and hide or resist from working on them. Yeah, I think it's it's okay to be both. I think within myself is what going back to the show, I, I yeah, I was working in the care industry, I was studying meditation and mindfulness teaching, and I thought, oh, this could be a chance to show that side of Tim. Yeah. I mean, I can't help myself. I can't kind of control myself. So I showed also the warts and all and, and the conflict that I'd get myself into or the, the competitiveness of the game, the sneakiness. And I think it was a chance for me to go, oh, I'm having a lot of fun. And, and I'm okay that not everybody is going to like all aspects of me, but I'm okay with all aspects of me. And that was really freeing. And it actually meant that going back and doing the show again, it was this full circle moment of, I guess, going Big Brother is life under the microscope. But to go back and go, oh, like I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, it's it was lovely. It's a, it's a great opportunity. And I guess what everyone listening about shaming or judging others we do it to ourselves as well i think and it and it can be our like we can define ourselves in a negative way that 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 traps us we put ourselves in a box and it i don't know and look it can also be that that thing that we're pushing onto the other person we're projecting it because that's Mm. how we're feeling in ourselves yeah you know and i'm sure that happens quite a lot when someone says well, it judges someone else. It's because you're seeing what they're doing in yourself. Yeah. And once you realise that it's yourself, then you go, <laughs> I won't judge that person because actually that's me as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. It's kind of a, a little trick sometimes that people don't like having their things pointed out that they're no. projecting onto you because they're projecting because they don't want to admit it themselves or they don't want other people to see it in themselves. So they're pointing it out in others. Yeah. And I always have a little laugh inside. I think, oh, should I tell them? (laughs) 
But yeah, no. <laughs> look, I mean, look, everybody's for themselves, aren't they? I mean, no one will ever change to a point unless they've got the insight in themselves to recognize that in themselves. And mm. if you recognize it in yourself, like you were saying with, you know, there's a few things you don't like and you're working on those, you know, it takes the insight to be able to go, actually, I don't actually like what I do there. And, you know, it could be something that's, if you told me, I'd go, oh, that's a minor thing, Tim. What are you worried about? To you, it might be a huge thing. You know, or you might see it as a minor thing and I go, oh, Tim, that's huge. But then I'm judging you, aren't I? Because to you, it's a small thing. Do you know what I mean? So it's to have that that, that insight to go, these are some things I need to work on. That's great because a lot of people never, ever look at those things in themselves and go, you know, if you're a sociopath, you don't think anything's wrong. Everything's yeah. you're brilliant at it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So with um, Big Brother this year, how did you handle, because there was a couple of times when, I'm not going to judge you here, where there was some small conflicts. I think there was one with Estelle and maybe someone else. Sam, Drew's girlfriend. Sam That's and Estelle. right, yeah, yeah. And then Sam when you came that. out, it was like this big thing, and I didn't realise it was that big. I just sort of went, oh, maybe that wasn't the best way to handle that. But did it blow up into a big thing and was it able to be contained? Yeah, look, it was... It was a mess. It was a mess. And it was actually quite real because Estelle and I were quite good friends before the show. We'd fallen out of touch. Nothing had gone wrong. But when we were going back in, I think we'd call, well, she'd called me and, and I knew that we were both doing the show. And I was a little bit worried because I knew she she's a very different person to me, but we're also very alike. She's so hot and I'm very head and we could have been a formidable team and gone all the way to the end, but we also wanted to take Reggie to the end. And I think there was a lot of conflict through the series of Estelle and I who was leading the OGs and in what strategy. And I think a lot of head strategy got us through as a as a tight unit the first half of half of the game. But then as the relationships formed and bonds and 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 stresses of the game, people are feeling emotional. Estelle's then the emotional play came in. And yeah, we there was a few big disagreements and it just kind of in the game got messy. By the end, we kind of reconciled. And after filming last year, we were good friends talking on the phone. Blah, blah, blah. The show went to air and I think it just kind of maybe reminded us how I'm, I, I hate it when people use trauma in the wrong, well, minimise it. it. It wasn't trauma, but it was hard to watch for yeah. both of us yeah. to see that breakdown in the relationship play out knowing that we were friends and that kind of happened off screen as well at the same time in that I was quite hurt by some of the things that she was tweeting, sort of questioning whether I was nasty or not. And I was thinking, what? We're friends. I messaged her and I said, so what are you doing? Like engaging this narrative or, or trying to create this narrative because we are friends off air and you know that, how this story ends and it was yeah. just felt like she was scared because neither of us knew how the show would portray the ending whether I would come out looking like a hero whether she would come out looking like a hero and so it was tense and it all came to a head one night where yeah she she made one tweet 
and and I I fired back in defense and attack, and it was just I, I and yeah, blew up that that I was really nasty, and I I, I had overstepped the mark, and yeah, a few weeks went past, and it didn't sit right for me, and I did a lot of soul searching. I, I like you said, I need to work on some things, and part of what I have a problem or, or I do quite a lot is I speak very directly short and sharply and quick. Yeah. And in a conflict situation, someone who's wrapped in emotion, that is going to hurt them a lot yeah. because I'm using very quick wit and intellect and I can read that person and I can, the tweet that I made, oh gosh, there's a lot. Yeah, I I knew that that would get a still. When you write something in a tweet or a message, it comes over completely different because your perception of what is being said can be from one to a hundred. If you're talking to her, she can see you talking. She can understand your how you're putting it. But when it's in a tweet, and I, I guess it's also how other people reading that tweet saw it. You know, yeah. some people would go, oh, yeah, I agree with Tim. Others would go, fuck, why do you say that for? Yeah. You know, and, and then it just gets worse. Watch the show engaged with the tweet. And I had a barrage of feminists <laughs> who... It was it was quite interesting, but almost scary. It was, I guess, maybe one of the first times in my life in the public eye of of receiving that kind of criticism, hate, and there was trolling too. I'm not I'm not saying I'm a victim. I deserved criticism, and I think anyone who puts out an opinion needs to be prepared that you'll get opinion back. Yeah, we don't put opinions out in a vortex in this world anymore. Everyone has a right to their opinion, but I owned it. I wanted to reach out to Estelle and, and and say, before the show ends, can we actually work this out? Like we're better than this story that has played out of Tim and Estelle. And I was texting her. She wouldn't answer. I spoke to Reggie about it and Reggie was like, yes. We knew Reggie would win. And I said, like, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be great if before finale, like, me and Estelle could both congratulate each other for our different gameplays of of helping Reggie get there to the end. Like, we both got yeah. what we wanted. And uh, Estelle had a lot of stuff going on in her life at that time, personal stuff, which is not my place to say. No. And, and I said, look, I, I'm going to record a podcast and put it out next week where I'm going to talk about this. Please have a listen. It's from my heart. I mean what I say. And at the at the after party after the finale, we had a good chat and a cuddle and it was really lovely. I haven't, we haven't, like I've reached out to her a few times on text, but she hasn't replied. So Estelle is a very complex person just as I am, but things take time. I know where she's at. She knows where I'm at. When we see each other, it'll be time it'll be as it needs to be yeah and i think that it is quite complex and it was quite real and yeah it wasn't always pretty how our friendship played out in the latest season but i don't know friendships are complex you do and look i mean I, i have to say um you know yes it didn't always come across as great but it was those things that made the show 
the word I don't like, normal, because those things happen when you're in a, but those things happen if you two were just living in a house together without the cameras. But to have the cameras and another 15 people living with you. And a $250,000 prize that we're all trying to get towards the end. Like there's a lot of different factors, but you're right. It's normal for relationships under pressure to have, it's normal for people to say things that are wrong. Yeah. It's sad when a, a relationship breakdown happens because you cannot reconcile those differences. Well, I guess we'll see the follow-up to that in another 10 years when you're both back in the house again. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'd ever do it again. <laughs> well, look, before you go, can I just ask you about your podcast because people listening, because podcasts can be listened to anywhere around the world. I have quite a big following in America. So your podcast is called The Big Mouth with Tim Dormer. And what can people expect to hear? What sort of conversations do you have with people? What do you talk about? I've seen that you've got a vast array of different topics, which is great. Yeah, lots of different topics, um, everything from what masculinity, racism, disability, um, mental health. I guess for me it was my chance to keep the conversation going. I have a big mouth, so I'll call it like it is and I'll own my shit when I need to. I've got some ideas of where I want it to go and I'm enjoying the experiment along the way, what's resonating with people, what's maybe not. It's been really lovely. I love it as a medium of communication now to continue on sharing my life with with people who are along for the journey. Look, I said I've listened to three of the episodes and I thought they were really good. I would listen more, but I just don't seem to have the time with recording (laughs) podcasts working. But, look, it's a really good podcast. You've got some really good topics. And this is the reason I started Life Changes You because I realised that lots of people have stories that no one will ever hear about. And to get those people to record something and put it out there, as I said to you, the autism one I did, I did two other autism ones. So many people were like, I don't hear about this in mainstream media. With the child predator thing, I don't hear this in mainstream media because I like to see things that, uh, well, I like the audience to see things that they're not going to hear about and to experience and understand that, you know, you might be having a really hard time. Look at this person who went through this and look at where they've got to. And I'm not talking about people being millionaires or billionaires because to me money is nothing. What is is your happiness and how you uh, work your way from A to B, you know, from birth to death and what you do in between. So, you know, but, yeah, The Big Mouth with Tim Dormer, people should overseas. And what I'll do is in the show notes I'll add a link to your, do you want Apple or Spotify? Uh, either or. Yeah. I'll add both. Oh, great. Thank you. How about that? Then they can choose which platform they want to listen on. Um, look, Tim, uh Thank you so much for coming on. It was been an absolutely brilliant conversation about so many different things. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And go and listen to Tim, the big mouth. You can find him anywhere, Apple, Spotify, everywhere else. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you, and I'll always respond to you. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.